7.6 billion. Now that's a big number. That's how many people there are on Earth. In the U.S. alone, estimates say that out of 328 million, there are nearly 246 million lost souls, men, women, boys, and girls that don't know Jesus. Those numbers seem big, but what if we were to focus on the number one? The Bible tells us that heaven rejoices every time one person comes to know Jesus. <coughs> what if? we were to focus on the daily conversations, those everyday meaningful interactions for Christ that can truly make an eternal difference in someone's life. We can reach our nation with the gospel. We can reach the millions. We can reach our friends and family and neighbors by starting with one. Who's your one? Well, this month we're focusing on that very subject. Who's the one person God's put on your heart that this year you're going to pray for, you're going to serve and express love to, you're going to invite to church, you're going to share your story and Jesus' story with them, that you want to be an instrument God uses to influence them toward faith in Christ. A few weeks ago you uh, brought to the altar names that you had written on these cards. Hundreds of you brought them, and uh, they're attached to the cross today. That Sunday the cross was here, and you laid them at the foot of the cross saying, that person needs Jesus Christ. That person needs a relationship with Christ, and I care. I care about that person, and I'm going to ask God to use me in that person's life. Today, we're going to talk about that a little bit, and one of the things we're using to help you, and by the way, if you weren't here that Sunday and never got to turn in one of these, some of these cards are available on the table in the back, but there's a 30-day prayer guide we're encouraging you to use, and, and I've been doing it every day using that guide, and it's really helping me to pray for, I actually have uh, two names up here, and it's helping me pray for them in ways I might not pray for them ordinarily. And you can access that prayer guide on our website, fbcrockhill.org, under the pastor's blog. The devotion, the prayer suggestion for that day is there. Also on the U version of the Bible app, under the plans, just search uh, who's your one. And, the, and you can use the prayer guide at your own, at your own schedule, and then for those who don't have access to that, there's a hard copy, a few of them left in the back. And uh, this morning I was looking at the, the prayer suggestion for today, and it's, a, it's from a verse in Exodus that says, The Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And then there's just a brief paragraph that helps me know how to pray that verse over my two. So I want us to pray that verse for the ones that are on our hearts right now. I want you to stand, if you would. Go ahead and stand up. Join hands with the person beside you. We're going to come together as a family, and we're going to pray that verse over these ones. And then I encourage you, I urge you to use this guide because you can do it in about two minutes a day. That's all it takes. Surely we can spare two minutes a day to know how to biblically pray for the ones God's put on our heart. So let's do that. Now, and I'm going to use the guide so you can see how it helps us pray for them. Let's pray together. Father, all of us know that you are a compassionate God, a gracious God who is slow to anger, and your love is steadfast. And each of us who know you have experienced all of these characteristics that define you 
We've experienced them many times. But, Father, our hearts break because of the ones that uh, you've put on our heart who have never experienced your grace and your compassion, your love. Today we pray for them. I pray for Tom. I pray for Jim. I pray for the names that are here on this cross, Father. I know they each have in their own minds some concepts of who you are what you are like, but many of the concepts they have, the things they think about you are inaccurate and wrong. And I pray you would reveal yourself to him, to them. And Father, help my life, help our lives to reflect who you really are so they can see in us who you are because our heart's desire is that they know Jesus in his name. Amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. Now, if you'll use this prayer guide, you will be able to pray a different prayer each day for 30 days focused on a different subject matter from Scripture for your one. This morning in the sermon, I want to talk about the wants of one man in hell. What are the wants of one man in hell? You can open your Bible if you have it to Luke chapter 16. We'll look at that passage in a few moments. There was a little five-year-old girl who was in kindergarten, of course, and one day she was riding in the car with her mother, and they were passing a construction site along the side of the road where they were doing some utility work and other things, and she saw these pipes, these poles sticking up from under the ground. And sitting in the back seat, seeing those poles coming out of the ground, she asked her mom, she said, Mom, is that how people in hell breathe? Well, you can see a little girl thinking that, right? And uh, 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 her mom was surprised by the question. She said, I, I don't think so, honey. Why do you ask? And so the little girl asked her mom, Mom, do you believe in hell? And mom said, yes, honey, I do. The little girl asked, well, does everyone believe in hell? And mom said, no. And the little girl said, well, my teacher does. She talks about it every day. So... <laughs> Her mom was kind of curious, and uh, she asked, well, what does your teacher say about hell? And and uh, little girl raised her hands up in the air, and she said, she says, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. <laughs> but we understand how, you know, a kindergarten student can get confused about something, right? The truth is a lot of adults are confused about Eternity, the afterlife, heaven, hell, <clears throat> have a lot of questions about it. And so today I want to clear some of that up and, and look at what the Bible says and in particular what Jesus says about this subject. So if you have your Bible, Luke 16, and we're going to have to go quickly because we've got a lot of ground to cover and may not be able to cover all of it. Luke 16, starting at verse 9, read with me, follow with me in your, in your text as we look at a story Jesus told. He said, there was a rich man who was habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. There was a poor man named Lazarus who was laid at his gate, covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs that were falling from the rich man's table, and the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Verse 22, now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, to heaven. The rich man also died and was buried. 
verse 23, and in Hades and hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he, this rich man who had died and was now in hell, in verse 24, he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. And he, this rich man, said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send Lazarus, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he, Abraham, said to him, said to the rich man in hell, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Now, real quickly, two things this rich man who died and went to hell wanted after he was in hell. The first thing he wanted was some compassion and some comfort. He said to Abraham, show mercy and send Lazarus that he can take his hand and and, and, and dip it down in some cool water and place it on my tongue for I'm tormented, I'm in agony in this horrible place. Verse 24 is where he describes that. So he's, he's in a, a place of suffering. And the first thing he wanted was some compassion, some mercy, and some comfort. He wanted the suffering. He wanted the, the, the pain to be eased, to, to be done away with. And what's interesting to me is that in, in life, in life, this man had everything he wanted, but he still died. The Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. Whether you have everything you want or nothing you want in this life, we're going to die. He had everything he wanted, all the luxuries, all the comforts, and he died. And in death, in hell, he hated everything he had. <laughs> it's just the opposite. And life, he loved everything he had. He, he, he had everything he wanted and he loved it. But in death, he hated everything he had. And what he wanted was something he could never have. See, once you die, your reality is set. It's fixed. That's the reason he says there's this great chasm between the two places and it's, it's fit. It's fixed, it's fixed, it's set. That, that word is, is painting the image of something that has been sealed in concrete. You can't change it, can't undo it. And so in death, he didn't want what he had. What he wanted, though, was something he could never have. He wanted comfort. He wanted the suffering to end. But that was a want that would never be satisfied the second thing he wanted was for his family to be warned. He wanted someone to rise from the dead 
and, and go to his brothers, go to his relatives and tell them about this terrible place so they would not also come and have the same experience. And, of course, Abraham in this conversation with this man says they, they, they have Abraham and prophets. They've got preachers and other believers, witnesses, Christians who are sharing with them. Let them listen to them. And he said, but no, 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 Father Abraham, that's not enough. They won't. But if somebody comes back from the dead, they will. And Abraham said, no, even if somebody comes back from the dead, they won't listen. Because, listen, the very one whose words we are quoting right now, that some of you are struggling to believe, the very words we are quoting this morning that some of you don't like are the very words of a man who died and came back from the dead. Jesus Christ. And we either believe God or we don't. And so here's a man who wanted things he couldn't have. He wanted comfort and he wanted someone to want his family. Well, his family was being warned. Maybe not in the way he, he wanted, but they were being warned. Just like everybody on, on, on this cross. Well, maybe not. I, I don't know if everybody on this cross is being warned or not. I don't know if you're wanting your one. I don't know if you're praying for your one. I don't know if you're ever talking about Jesus to your one. I don't know if you're ever inviting your one to church and to worship. I don't know if your one is being warned or not. But I know they can be. And God wants them to be. There was a, a preacher who was visiting a friend of his in Australia. And while there, his friend took him to Botany Bay, which has a you know pretty lengthy history in, in Australia. And and um, the preacher decided he was going to go for a swim, so he started taking off his shirt, and, and his, his, his Australian friend asked him, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to go for a swim. And his friend said, well, what about those signs? Those signs. That, uh, and and he, he, pointed, he pointed to some signs that the preacher had not noticed. The signs read, danger, sharks. Our preacher said, don't, don't, don't worry, don't be ridiculous, I'll be fine. And the friend said, listen, mate, he's down under, listen, mate, 200 Australians have died in shark attacks. And this is a quote. He said, you've got to decide whether those shark signs are there to save you or to ruin your fun. You're of age, so you decide. Preacher decided he wouldn't go for a swim. The warnings are here. You've got to decide. Is it to spoil people's fun or is it to save them? Which is it? See, each person has to decide. Heed the warning. But you and I as followers of Jesus Christ are responsible for pointing out to them there's a sign. Do you see the sign? It would be so unloving it would, be, it would be so unkind for us to stand to the side and, yeah, I see that sign over there, but I don't think he does, but I'm not going to say anything. It's his business. We would never do that. And yet when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to eternity, when it comes to heaven and hell, when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, we do that all the time. Go ahead and swim with the sharks. That's your problem. Don't ever show them the signs. Now, this story we just read was told by Jesus Christ, but there's much more 
Jesus said. Do you have your Bibles? Turn to the book of Matthew. Let's just look quickly at some verses where Jesus talks about this very important subject. We're going to run through these real quickly, not really comment on them for the most part, but just read them. I want you to see more of what Jesus said about this subject matter. Okay, Matthew chapter 5. And by the way, you're going to find some pretty strong words, pretty strong language, pretty strong image. And you're also, if you, if you study, if you study, you'll discover, listen to this. Some of you may not know this. Jesus Christ said more about hell than any other person in the Bible. I don't know if you knew that or not. There's no one in Scripture who said more about hell than Jesus. Now, Jesus said a lot about heaven, but when you look at all the passages, there are actually more passages where Jesus spoke about hell than where Jesus spoke about heaven. That in and of itself should say something to us. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery within her in his heart. And then he gets into this. So, so you've got this thing in you that's causing you to sin. So he, he, he makes a point, uses an analogy here in verse 29. He says, If your right eye, your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out, throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And then he says, if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off, throw it from you, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, Jesus is making a very dramatic point. You, you would think losing an eye, losing losing a hand would be a terrible thing, and it is, but Jesus says hell is much worse. And by the way, if, if the name up here is your cousin, your uncle, your dad, your grandchild, your neighbor, co-worker, your friend, without Christ, that's their future. So Jesus is pretty dramatic. Turn, turn in your Bible over to chapter 8 in Matthew, chapter 8. Starting at verse, verse 11, Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience who thought simply because they were blood descendants of uh, Abraham, everything was all right. And he says, that's not the case. In verse 11, it says, I say to you that many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying in heaven, it's not going to just be the patriarchs of the Jewish faith but it's also people from the east and west. It's Gentiles. The Gentiles who are a believer in Christ will be there. But the sons of the kingdom, some of the descendants of Abraham, some of the Jewish people, he says, will be cast out into the outer darkness. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so here Jesus says, to, to give us an image, a, a glimpse of what hell is like, he says it's a place where there is crying and people are gnashing their teeth in pain and in frustration. And the picture of outer darkness means it's a place of isolation, a place of separation, a place of loneliness. Just imagine being lost in space. Chapter 10 in Matthew. Matthew chapter 10, verses 27 and uh, 20, 28, 
Jesus says, What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. What you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetop. And he's talking to his disciples. And he says, Guys, I've been teaching you, okay? You've been with me. We've been in small groups. We've been here. We've been at, You've been listening to me. Now, what I'm teaching you, you are to share with others. What you learn in your quiet time, what you learn in your Bible study, what you learn in Sunday school is not to be kept to yourself. It's to be shared. What keeps us from doing that? So many of us are scared to death to do anything in public for Jesus Christ. Afraid, intimidated to invite anybody to church, to talk to somebody about Jesus, to share our testimony. And what he says, what Jesus says in verse 28 is, do not fear those who kill the body. Now that's not going to happen to you. Some parts of the world it could. He said, don't be afraid of what they might do to you because they can't touch your soul. Brother, you need to have some fear, some reverence for him, for God who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Interestingly, the word in the Greek of the New Testament, you know, the New Testament was written in the Greek language. It's translated here in, in English for us. But, but in the Greek, the word for hell here is the, is the word Gehenna. It's the word Jesus used more than any other for hell. It was a public garbage dump on the outskirts of Jerusalem in the day of Jesus where trash and sometimes bodies were burned continuously. So there was just this continuous smoke, continuous fire as debris and garbage was continuously burned. And Jesus used that picture, that picture when describing the reality of hell. It's pretty graphic. Pretty graphic. Well, look in uh, chapter 13, something else Jesus said. Chapter 13, verses 24 and following, Jesus tells a parable, a story to make a point about a guy who planted a garden, uh, wheat, and then some, some uh, other people came in at night and planted weeds, tares, and, 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 his, his, his staff, what do we do? Do we pull up? He said, no, if you pull up the tares, the weeds, you'll pull up some of the roots. Just let them grow together. He's making a point about human history. Making a point about human history. And so in verse 30, he said, allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. So the separation of the two the separation in humanity, the separation of the lost and saved, those who follow Christ and those who don't, that separation will take place at the harvest, at the second coming of Jesus, at the end of the age, if you will. Now drop down to verse 36. So he left the crowds and he's with his disciples in a house and they said, would you tell us more about what you meant by that parable about the wheat and the tares? And so he explains it to them. And in verse 40. Uh, 40, he said, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. Son of man will send forth his angels. They will gather out of, the, out of his kingdom all the stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's that, that symbol of suffering again and uh, fire. And by the way, the, 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 the image Jesus used more than any other when it, when it comes to hell is the image of fire. Now going down to chapter 18. Chapter 18. 
And one of the reasons I'm doing this is sometimes people say, well, did Jesus, Jesus didn't say much about hell, did he? Well, I want you to understand he really did. Chapter 18 and verses uh, 8 and 9 is a repeat of what you saw in chapter 5 with some other additions about body parts and losing them and how bad it is, but, but, but being thrown into the hell is even worse. And so he makes that clear in chapter 18, verses 8 and 9. Over in chapter 22, uh, in verse 13, again, he talks about uh, outer darkness. And, and it's interesting in chapter 22, if you look at it in verse 13, he said this is another, at the end of another story about a king and his servants and dividing them and those who did good and those who did not do good. And he said, bind them hand and foot and throw them into the outer darkness in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, that sense of isolation. But if you drop down that same chapter to verse uh, 33, uh, uh, they were just astonished at his, at his at, or well, I'm in chapter 22, wrong, wrong one. Verse 20, I got all confused. Y'all ever do that? Verse 20, chapter 23, verse, where am I at? Verse 13. Oh, yeah, no. I can't see. There it is. But woe to you. Oh, he's talking about the scribes and Pharisees here, the hypocrites. And he says, woe to them. And he goes through a whole litany of woes. And then down in verse 33, now here I'm at it. He said, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? One of the things I wanted to say about that. A lot of people will, will say, well, you know, I think the really, 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 really bad, mean people who do a lot of bad stuff, I can see them going to hell. But, you know, this was some religious folk, he said, will not escape hell. The scribes and Pharisees were religious folk. They were moral. They didn't go out and kill people. They, they weren't murderers of thousands and millions. But they were hypocrites. And he said, they can't escape it. So you've got all those other verses up there where Jesus said a lot, a lot about it. One last one I want us to look at in Matthew is in chapter 25. Just drop down there because multiple times toward the end of that chapter, uh, uh, for instance, in verse 46, chapter 25, verse 40, 46, he said, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And it's interesting. The Greek word that Jesus used for eternal when he talks about the righteous having eternal life, living forever in heaven. And most people believe in heaven and want to talk about that. But the, the word for eternal life in heaven is the same Greek word he uses for eternal punishment in hell. Same word. Same word for eternal. That is unending, that it, that, it, uh, that it lasts. And there's more we could say, but I'm going to stop there. Now, one of the images that Jesus brought out is weeping, right? Weeping. And in Luke 16, you have the, the rich man in hell who's in agony and pleading for mercy. But, you know, people in hell are not the only ones who weep. Jesus weeps. Jesus weeps. The story is in Luke 16, but a, a few pages beyond that in chapter 19 in verse uh, 41, the Bible says when he, Jesus, approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. 
One of the other gospels in telling that same story says that Jesus looked out at the city of Jerusalem that was rejecting him. The majority, not everybody, but the majority were not believing in him. And, 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 and he, we- he weeps over them and, and, and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. Luke tells us when he was saying that, he was crying, he was weeping. Jesus weeping over the lostness of of much of humanity, over the the pain that much of humanity endures, over the destiny of of many, because they they refused to believe. In In the Garden of Gethsemane, The night Jesus is arrested and the following morning he'll be crucified. He's on his knees praying because he doesn't want to die. He knows it's the Father's plan and it's the only way for for atonement to be made for all the evil of this world and the sin of humanity and the sin of each individual. And the Bible says as he prays, he, he sweats and he sweats so profusely it, it rolls from his forehead and falls on the ground. He weeps. When he stood at the tomb of another man named Lazarus who had died and been buried and he saw his sisters weeping, the Bible says, Jesus wept. See, he's he's a righteous judge, but he's also a weeping Savior. Now, the story in Luke 16, Jesus pictures hell as a real place with real people, with personhood. The rich man was able to see, able to hear, able to speak, able to feel, able to remember. That's personhood. That's a real person in a real place with real suffering and real regrets, but in a place that is fixed, a place with no Exit. And I, I know there are some people in this room right now and some watching on live stream or who will watch later by television who have questions about hell, who struggle to believe that it's real and that a loving God would allow anyone to go there. And I don't have time to answer all the questions that each and every person has today or in one sermon or even in two or three sermons. But I want you to notice that in the story about the rich man, in verse 31, after he had asked Abraham to send someone back to warn his family, Abraham said to him in verse 31, he said, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Now Jesus rose from the dead. Before he rose from the dead, he died. That's why he had to rise from the dead. He died. He died. And the Bible teaches that Jesus died with our sin upon him, paying the penalty of our own bad decisions. But he died. And on that cross, Jesus suffered hell. He suffered the darkness of of separation from the Father that sin causes. You'll remember at, at midday, at noon, when he was hanging on the cross, 
the sky turned black because he became sin. And on the cross, not only did he physically suffer, on the cross he spiritually suffered. On the cross he experienced hell for us. And that decision is a measure of how much he loves you and how much he loves each of these. Let me ask you something. If you doubt, if you struggle, let me ask you something. Why did Jesus choose to die? He could have simply preached love without dying. If everybody was going to heaven no matter what, he could have simply said that and not died. Why did he choose to die and suffer hell on the cross? Why? It's because he knew something you don't. It's because he knew hell is real. And he wanted to save you from it. And wants to save these from it. See, there's no other explanation for why Jesus died. The truth is there's no other explanation for why he even came into this world giving up his place in heaven to come here and be one of us, if you will, apart from that reality. And so it shouldn't be a surprise that he spoke about heaven and hell, life and death, here and there, now and then, over and over and over. See, the truth is hell, is, hell is avoidable. It's avoidable. None of these have to go there. They have to believe. They have to repent. But you have to warn them. Silence is not an option. To be silent in the face of this is to be hateful, not loving. This morning I'm asking you to pray for your one and to pray that God will give you the love and boldness 
to lovingly be part of their life and to influence them for Christ, not just once, but for as long as you live, that you never give up. Here on the altar are hundreds of these little stickers. You bend them and you'll find a crease somewhere in the back. <clears throat> peels off and you can stick them somewhere. I have one of these <clears throat> on the cover of my prayer journal that I get out every day when I have my quiet time. And I see one. I actually have one of these stuck in my car, so every time I get in my car and drive, I see one. And this morning, so you could see it, I, uh, I just put it on here this morning so you could see it. I have one on the cover of my Bible, so I can see one. The most prominent place where I see it all the time is I have one on the, <laughs> on the cover of my laptop, so I can see one. And every time I see that, what do you think it reminds me of? And I pray. And every time I see this, I'm reminded, have I said anything to this person? Have I done anything to serve this person, to care for this person, to bless this person? Have I done anything to, you know, to, to make this person's life better? What have I done? Have I invited this person to worship? Have I, lately, have I, have, I, have I said anything to them? Have, have I asked them questions about their life? And have I prayed for them and prayed with them? What have I done, if anything? It's a reminder because the truth is a lot of times out of sight is out of mind, right? So we're going to sing a couple songs, a little, little extended time of worship. So you can go ahead and stand. And uh, don't you, you don't all have to come at one time because we, we've got two songs. So we're going to sing for seven, eight minutes. And during the invitation, I'm asking you, encouraging you to come and get one of these stickers. And here's what I'd like for you to do. When you pick it up, Stand there and for just 30 seconds to 60 seconds, pray for your one. Pray that God will give you an image of, of hell and burden your heart because you don't want that for your one. And pray for your one to come to know Jesus Christ so that won't be their destiny. And then you put this someplace prominent. It's just bend it. You'll find the crease. Sometimes it's a little hard to find, but it's there. Peel it off. Stick it somewhere. Brother Jamie and others will be here. I'll be here if you'd like to make a decision of some other kind, if you want to join our church or request baptism. So let's sing together, and you come right now. Quickly, come on. Let's just worship. Come and get your sticker. Come and pray for your one.
join our hearts. Father, you're, you're speaking. and We're burdened. And Lord, we wish we could just make people do stuff, but we know we can't. But we pray your Holy Spirit will grab the hearts of our loved ones, of those we're burdened about, those, those friends we care for, and that you'll reveal yourself to them and, and, and help them to see how much you really do, you really do, you really do love them. Let's sing one or two more verses and then we'll close. 